Welcome to the Eden Podcast, where we think again about the Bible on women and men, and we start with the correct understanding of what happened in the Garden of Eden back in the beginning. Today, we'll be hearing from Bruce C. E. Fleming, founder of the True 316 Project. He's a former academic dean and professor of practical theology. The foundation of the True 316 Project is based on the research of Dr. Joy Fleming, who wrote the book, Man and Woman in Biblical Unity, Theology from Genesis 2 to 3. Do you know what the 11 Hebrew words mean that God spoke to the woman in the Garden of Eden? Bruce and Joy put that and more in the Book of Eden, Genesis 2 to 3. We invite you to get a copy today and make sure you have a solid foundation for understanding the seven key passages on women and men in the Bible. It turns out when Genesis 3.16 becomes clear, all the other passages become clear too. You can learn more at our website, true316.com. That's tru316.com. And now enjoy today's episode of The Eden Podcast. The focus of this episode is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and we're working from the study guide 5 in our book, Back to Eden, 1 Timothy chapters 2 through 3. One of the problems with this passage, this whole passage, is trying to understand what it says, and the problem is that people love to jump in and pound on verse 12. But verse 12 is only the second half of a long Greek sentence, and it's the subordinate part. We really have to look at verses 11 and 12 because that's just one sentence in Greek. Joanne Hegemeyer is here. She wrote the study guides. And Joanne, can you start with um, the text we have on, on this study guide five? Yeah, thank you. And what I've learned from working with a Greek scholar is that verses can sometimes be the enemy of understanding. And that's what's happened here in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, because this point in 1 Timothy 2, one Greek sentence has been cut up and numbered verse 11 and verse 12. And the main idea of this one sentence is found in verse 11. But the part numbered as verse 12 is subordinate to this idea. People have focused, though, on verse 12. So some of the men among the overseers were injurious. They were disruptors. And that's described in verse 8. Some of the women praying and prophesying likewise, were injurious or disruptors. Now, not every man and not every woman overseer was committing Paul's third sin of disrupting the church. So the Greek pronoun of 1 Timothy 3.1, which is anyone, anticipates the restoration that Jesus, the faithful word, can provide for the limited number of wayward women just as for the limited number of wayward men. They can be corrected and restored. Verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, If anyone aspires to oversight, that one, that person, desires a good work. And so in the study guide, we show you a diagram that kind of helps see what Paul is saying. But we're going to go straight to exercise 1 and focus here on Paul's correction in 1 Timothy 2, verse 11. What is that imperative that Paul gives in verse 211? So when I was learning Greek, I, I was taught that when you have an imperative or a a verb that tells you to do something, and, and in English we'd put an exclamation point after it, then that's uh, that's a big deal, and we should pay attention to that. And in this whole passage, we only have one, and it's here in verse 11, and it is let learn. He didn't say make learn or talk them into learning. He says let them learn. So there's some people out there that they want to learn, and Paul says uh, maybe some other people don't want them to learn, 
but I want them to learn. So let them learn all that's involved with this, this verb. That's a great way for us to start on this because in exercise two, we're going to identify that disruptive behavior that some of the women overseers were engaged in. So question number one, the first part, what were these particular women overseers doing in 1 Timothy 2 verse 9, the B part? So we've got some details in verse 9, second part of verse 9. And he says, I, I don't want you doing this anymore. I don't want you doing special hair embroidery or making up the hair in fancy ways. I don't want you using gold and pearls and costly clothing. There's some discussion on who on earth could have done that in the church at Ephesus back then, because 70% or more of the people in a Roman city like that were uh, slaves and servants, and they certainly didn't have any money. Gold was you know, out of reach, and, uh, and these, these other things were even more expensive. Pearls were three times that. So there was a group of women teachers, apparently, who were able to wear these kind of clothes, and they might have been doing... They might have brought the clothes they had been wearing before they became Christians when they were teaching in the temple in Ephesus, Artemis of the Ephesians. So um, the question is, did they bring some of their teaching patterns as well? Did they do that? And we don't know, but we're going to find in verse 12b that that is also a possibility. Yeah, and James gives maybe an idea of what might have been part of their motivation by telling the people that were reading his letter in chapter 2, do not claim the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ of glory while showing partiality. And then James talks about people who wear gold rings and in fine clothes in the assembly, and then the poor person feels like somehow they're less than. It's a great passage. It's found in James 2, 1 through 9. Uh, the next question asks, in what way does Jesus' teaching in the Gospels of John and Mark counter this sort of disruptive behavior of a leader. And the first passage is found in John 13, 12 through 16. It's about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And then the next passage is found in Mark 10, 42 through 45. And here's what Jesus says. You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. Instead, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom of many. So I was wondering if you might talk a little bit about how some of these passages might have given us an idea of some of the disruptive behavior of these overseers. So he, he talks about uh, things which they so confidently affirm, even though they don't, don't know what they're talking about. So we have this aggressive, uh, preachy way of doing things, and apparently that was going on back there in Ephesus. Let me pick up a question, uh, exercise two, question 3A, because it, it goes along with this. Along with 1 Timothy 2, 9b, what else were some of the women overseers doing wrong, according to the second Greek verb, authentine, used in 1 Timothy 2, 12? Okay, so now it's time for a little Greek lesson. <laughs> Don't get hung up on this, but there are two verbs in verse 12. Remember, verse 12 is the sub point. So verse 11, he says, this group of women, this subgroup of women, overseers who had gone astray, let them learn, let them learn as good students, and they should not be doing what? Now there's two verbs in verse 12, and a scholar friend of ours, Phil Payne, talks about 
what do these two verbs mean and are they two separate ideas or are they one idea? And he argues very convincingly, this is one thing. So it's to teach in a certain kind of way. And that kind of way is this obscure Greek word, authentine. What does authentine mean? Now everybody starts to argue about that. But the, the main idea is to teach in an authentine way is not what he wants them to do. So there's a bad way of teaching that had bad content in the teaching strayed from the word of God and led to bad practices. And, and that's a general principle we can apply. If there's any kind of bad teaching that strays from the word of God and that strays from pure practice, that we shouldn't do that. And if we've got some teachers that are teaching that way, then they should be put under discipline for a while. When I was growing up, if you ever disciplined a pastor, they were out on their ear. They were out in the, the back 40 in the field, and uh, they never got to come close to the farmhouse after that. They were restricted. They were, they were banished. Uh, they were bad people, <laughs> and they could never be restored. That was the attitude in the church I was growing up in. When I went to Africa, Joy and I went to Africa, we, we came across the case of a, a very high-profile pastor in the city where we were who had uh, been disciplined and was basically under house arrest for two years. And uh, we, we got to know about him then. I didn't get to know him then, but in the years that we continued to work in Africa, I found myself traveling on a on jet to uh, across Africa close to Victoria Falls, and he was on the plane beside me. And he and I had been appointed representatives of the denomination to go to this big-time conference. So obviously, he had been restored in the eyes of the denomination, and I, I had to deal with that. So here he was sitting beside me, and we got talking, and I asked him why he had been put under discipline, and he humbly explained that to me. And it was an interesting process because they had told him, okay, basically house arrest for two years, and then they began to restore him gently. They didn't put him in the pulpit again, but they had him working in an, in an administrative job in the, uh, in the Christian education department of the denomination. And then eventually he got up to a place where he was more, more restored, more and more as, as time went along, and, and he showed himself worthy of, uh, of trust. So what's going on here is that Paul's saying these men, overseers in verse 8, 1 Timothy 2, 8, and these women, overseers in verse Timothy 2, 9 and following, who have gone astray, uh, we're going to restore them, but right now we're teaching them. So 2.11, he says, let them learn from who or let them learn what? Well, it's the good teaching. They're being corrected and they're being told, no, what you were teaching wasn't right. And here's what we are supposed to be teaching. And this is what's right. That's the content. And then in verse 12, he talks about the, the method. And the method that they were doing is they were teaching in an authentic way. I, I made up a word, kind of. I call it to teach in an authoritarian manner. So you're not supposed to, here's the word, you're not supposed to authoritize people when you're, when you're preaching, especially if it's bad doctrine. So he's saying, let's not do this. Let's not preach with this authentic, incorrect manner. And that really brings us into exercise three. It was a great explanation, and I agree with you. I have read so many different ways of understanding authentic, and this is such a clear teaching that you've given us. So let's understand Paul's correction for these errant women overseers. And the first question has a number of parts to it. It starts out right here in verse 10. In what way does Paul want these wayward women overseers' behavior to change as they prayed and prophesied and preached godliness? So we get a clue that what they are doing is preaching. This is in uh, 1 Timothy 2.10. The Greek verb is epangelomai. 
and that's often translated as professing, but it means to tell or to proclaim or to announce. And so this is what the good women overseers were doing in verse 210. So they're supposed to be preaching or they're supposed to be professing, and uh, they're not, go, not to go astray, authorizing, but they are to be preaching the good news. That makes so much sense to me because it just flows with this whole chapter. So the second question, we're going to ask you to restate Paul's specific imperative in verse 11 for the women overseers who were to be corrected and restored. So, so what, if you put it all together, what is Paul saying? Now he's saying, I want, Timothy, I want you to continue to do what I left you in Ephesus to do. And that's to correct and restore the wayward overseers. In this case, it's the women who went astray and weren't doing the correct way of doing it. I want you to let them learn in a proper, studious way and not go around authoritizing with false doctrine. In exercise three now in our study guide, it says this, understand Paul's correction for the errant women overseers. Question one, according to 1 Timothy 2.10, the Greek verb epangelomai, often translated professing, means to tell, proclaim, announce. What then does Paul expect of women overseers? Well, he expects them to do it properly, and this is the this is the good people. This is what these are the people who are doing it properly in verse ten, and then in verse twelve they were doing it the incorrect way with this authoritizing manner and content. Um, I want to stress though something that's very important. People with a certain presupposition come to these verses with a with a firm conviction that Paul is not saying that women can be preachers. They, they look at these verses because they know, that's their presupposition, they know that women can't be overseers, they can't be pastors, they can't be deacons. This is their presupposition. And therefore, these verses must talk about something else. And so when they, when they have that, they, they look at these verses and they say, well, this, I remember reading Martin Luther. He, he, he said, this is, uh, this is talking about husbands and wives. And how did we all of a sudden get into the topic of husbands and wives when we get to verses 11 and 12? And so he says that uh, a woman should be in all, Luther said this, a woman should be in subjection to her husband. And he's teaching that, he's pointing to these two verses that don't have anything to do with that. A husband's not part of this verse at all. So I just wanted us to be aware that if you have that presupposition, please put it aside for now and take a look at what the Greek is saying and realize that it, it's, we have a different teaching that's coming out of this passage. So the second part of question two shows us a bunch of passages from the Gospels, from Acts, and from Paul's letters, and also from James' letter that give aspects of how important Paul's imperative is really for every believer but particularly for overseers. And so for this episode, we're going to just look at two of Paul's letters and one from James. And here's one of the things that Paul said in Colossians chapter 1. He said, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim. That's the important part. Warning everyone and teaching everyone. That's the second important part. Everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and strive with all the energy that God powerfully inspires within me. So teaching and proclaiming and building up the believers. Then there's another long passage in 1 Timothy 4, where Paul continues to talk about everyone being involved in this instruction. And then finally, James says in his letter, 
Not many of you should become teachers. This is in chapter 3, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will face a stricter judgment. Well, that brings us into exercise four, and we're going to focus on Paul's example in 1 Timothy 2, verse 12. And there's a lot of teaching about the Greek right here. Could you uh, help us understand that? In verse 12, Paul joins two action words, one common and one rare, to describe the kind of improper behavior he is not permitting. New Testament scholar Dr. Philip Payne has convincingly explained that these two words are linked together to describe one action in Greek. Paul has only one activity in mind. These Greek verbs are didasko and authentine. Taken together, they mean, I am not permitting any authentine type of teaching or teaching in an improper way. All teaching by all women overseers is not forbidden. Teaching in this improper way is forbidden for those who are doing it. Of course, all false teaching should be forbidden. Not every woman overseer was wearing the inappropriate clothing and the expensive jewelry described in verse 9b. Not every woman overseer was teaching false doctrine in the inappropriate way referred to in verse 12. But the subgroup of women overseers was doing so and needed corrective instruction. And that corrective instruction was to learn. But there's more to it than that. In... Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 11b and 12b, there's a way that Paul wants them to learn. Could you tell us some more about that? Yeah, there's some words that are very uh, familiar to the Jewish rabbi students. Uh, he says that you're supposed to learn in silence and you're supposed to learn in subjection. Uh, I was not a rabbi, but I was a junior high English teacher. And when I taught my ninth grade students, I wanted them to learn in silence and I wanted them to subject, subject themselves to the lesson and to put their minds on the topic that was at hand. That wasn't always easy. Uh, but these are these are familiar words to the students of a rabbinical uh, classroom uh, under a rabbi. The people wondered how Jesus learned these things he was teaching them because he hadn't gone through that kind of process. The Apostle Paul had gone through that kind of process, and he knew very well what these words meant, and he just pulled them right out of his pocket and used them right here. So I want you to learn, just as rabbis in training learn, in silence and in subjection to your teacher and to the content you're receiving. Thinking about all of this together, let's just paraphrase Paul's instruction in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. We remember that it's all one sentence, and so it needs to all be said together. And we know that the love of God for these women and for their ministry is Paul's greatest concern. So could you do that for us? Could you just kind of summarize it and tell us what it means? So he's saying this subgroup of women overseers that are being instructed, let them learn. That's the big point. And let them learn as good students that are subjected to their teachers, who would be Timothy or Priscilla or Paul or certainly Jesus himself. So let them turn, learn and don't let them go off teaching like they were. I don't want them to teach in an authoritarian manner. I don't want them to be authoritizing any man, but I want them to learn. And I, I'd like to bring up the idea of what's called in Greek an inclusio. An inclusio is used at the beginning and at the end of a chain of words here to show that there's just one idea. And the word in silence and hesukia is used at the beginning and is used at the end. So it ties it up with a nice little bow. And he's saying all of this stuff, this in silence, in silence material in here is, I want you to let them learn 
in appropriate, studious ways, and I don't want them to be teaching incorrectly. Thanks for listening to the Eden Podcast. Do you have your own copy of the Book of Eden, Genesis 2-3, to and our other books on the seven key passages on women and men in the Bible? Visit our website at true316.com. Do you want to go deeper? You're invited to enroll in the current study unit of True School. Take a look. Go to true316.com slash school.